Well, good morning to you folks. Uh, I trust you find it a pleasure and a privilege, an honor to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, my privilege again, slightly scary always, but only slightly, to uh, have the privilege of bringing the message word of the Lord this morning. Um, my, my dear wife did tell me I should explain one little thing to you this morning. We're, we're supposed to have, uh, what was it, 49 some things we're thankful for. Uh, I, I kind of kept forgetting and only had one. So um, two weeks ago, tomorrow, my daughter, my oldest child, gave birth to our second grandchild, Zoe Grace. She's awesome. Um, but I, I, at the final amen, barring the return of the Lord or a, massing, a massive mighty moving of the spirit, I'm out the door to, to catch an airplane to, to go see my new granddaughter. Jennifer got to spend the last two weeks with her, so it's my turn now. So. So I'm not running away in case I offend you, although I'm not planning on offending you this morning, so hopefully not. So the, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a, in a short series called Stronghold. And uh, uh, Pastor Alvin did the, did the first two uh, parts of that, and, and I get to, to finish up this morning. And uh, first thing will be to see if the clicker goes. There we go, okay. And we were looking at this verse, Psalm 63, verse eight. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. Uh, Pastor Alvin was, was focusing the last two weeks on the first part of that, my soul clings to you, under the title, I believe, The Struggle is Real, part one and part two. The Struggle is Real. Pastor Alvin looked at uh, things that uh, may hinder, may get in the way, may tempt us to not have our soul cling to God. Uh, he talked about how younger people can struggle to cling to God and how older people can struggle to cling to God. And, and you're all there. You're younger than somebody and older than somebody, so there's no place to hide it. We all struggle to cling to God at times. Uh, and then he, he also, in part two, talked about how sometimes our financial situation uh, can encourage us or tempt us not to. Uh, we have too little or too much. There's a temptation not to cling to God. And sometimes the struggle to cling to God is real. Uh, but uh, today, we're on to the other part, which is, your right hand upholds me. So we spent two weeks talking about the struggle is real, uh, and looking at us clinging to God. Uh, but this morning, uh, while the struggle may be real, so is God. And while sometimes the struggle to cling to God is real, God himself also is real in his right hand upholding us. God is real and upholds us. So most of you will have seen the movie or maybe you will have seen the TV show. You're like, Richard, which movie? The, the movie, the TV, you've seen it, right? Or maybe you've seen a, a commercial with it or something, you've seen it. There is a person and they're hanging on for dear life. They are clinging to a cliff. They're clinging to, by their fingernails, the edge of a multi-story building. They're up there 10, 12 stories above a bustling city. They've gone over the edge of the mountain, they're hanging on by their very fingers. In actual fact, sometimes the director will zoom in and you can see their fingernails are ground into the dirt as they struggle to cling. 
in order that they don't fall to some inevitable conclusion many feet down below. And you've seen it, right? So that, so that the, the director will have the camera zoom in on those fingers and it zooms down and you can see maybe the face of the person there. And there's the things and then, and then they'll zoom back and you can see how far it is down below to what's gonna happen should their strength fail and the fingers slip and they fall away. Now, there's many scenarios that lead up to that point. There's many seeds, there's many storylines that bring us to that picture of that person clinging for their life to the edge of something above the abyss. One of the storylines that leads up to that involves the good guy and the bad guy. And you've seen it. The bad guy is running away from the good guy and there's a chase that happens. Oftentimes there's you know, death-defying jumps of buildings or motorbikes or all sorts of things, but it ends with the bad guy going over the edge and at the last minute, grasping, clinging to the edge of whatever he has been chased to. And then the good guy catches up and the bad guy is clinging, holding on, and the good guy reaches down. Take my hand, I'll pull you. And you've seen how the scene plays out. The bad guy doesn't. The bad guy is hanging on, and he doesn't believe in the goodness of the good guy. He's like, no way. I'm not going to let go and grab onto your hand, because you'll just let me fall, because that's what I would do. So you've got the scene with the bad guy clinging, and the good guy reaching, trying to save him, but the bad guy does not believe that the good guy is actually there for him because he doesn't believe in the goodness. Then there's another scene, and, and it's not a good guy, bad guy. There's somebody who has, for whatever reason, gone over the edge. Again, the edge of the cliff, the edge of the building, and they're clinging on for dear life. And the camera zooms back, and you see that they're not looking up at the camera, they're looking down. And as they hold on, they're looking down at what awaits should their strength fail. And all they can see is the abyss. All they can see is the nothing at the foot of the mountain. All they can see is the busy street at the foot of the building. All they can see is what will go badly should their strength fail, should they lose their grip, should they fail to cling. And the camera zooms back, and there's the Savior, the salvation, the hero, reaching down. But they are so caught up with what's going to happen if that they never look up to where salvation lies close to hand. And the script then has the person reaching down saying, look up look up, and you see the person tear their eyes away and they look up to where the hand is extended to bring them to safety. And then there's a third scenario. And the third scenario goes something like this. The person again, for whatever reason, however the story is gone, is hanging on to the edge of the cliff, the building, the whatever it is, they're hanging on 
and the person comes to help them, the, the fireman, the rescue, the whatever it is, and they're reaching down, but the arm's not long enough. They're too far away to grab onto them right away. It's too great a distance. They're hanging too far down, and reach as I might, can't quite. And what does the rescuer say? The rescuer says, you're gonna have to let go and trust me. And it plays out and the person's too scared, right? They're like, but if I let go, I'll fall. And the rescuer says, no, you have to let go in order that I can get you. Because if you don't let go, I can't save you. You have to let go in order that I'll be able to reach and get you. I'm too scared. You have to trust me. And I know there's more storylines that follow that little story as it goes on. But we've got those three. Let's call them the bad guy hanging on with the good guy reaching out, but there's a, there's a trust problem there because the bad guy doesn't believe in the goodness. He thinks that the person reaching out knows him too well and isn't worthy, perhaps, of being saved. And we've got the person who is all out of strength and they're so focused on what the consequences are, so they become aware, unaware of the presence of the one who is there to save them. And then there's the third one where the person is aware, but, but it takes a leap. They have to let go first before they can be saved by the hand of the person who is reaching out to them. In all of these pictures, there is somebody who is holding on for dear life, and there is someone who is reaching out. And where we are clinging to the ledge, when we are clinging to, God is also there reaching out. I, uh, I do um, love the Bible because it's so intertwined. Everything is there. Uh, and, and we can read it, as Karen said, we can read it so many times and read the same passage and still find something new. And sometimes there's so much meaning in just a, sh a short, simple phrase. But one of the things that, three of the things that we can see about God through all of the Bible are what I'm calling the three omnis. Now, if you're an English teacher in here this morning, please don't crucify me. Yes, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent aren't actually hyphenated. I put them in there for effect. I think we're allowed to do that as well. So the three omnis, God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, and God is omnipotent. Omni, he is all always, all, all, all. Omniscient, God knows all. Omnipresent, God is always there. God is omnipotent, he has power over everything. And there are times when we try and see God and understand God through our, our finite, our human lens, but God is not constrained by that. God is not constrained by time or place or matter. God is beyond our imagination. Omniscient, God knows. God knows our struggles. You know, the, guy, the bad guy hanging on to the cliff, right? He's like, you wouldn't save me because I'm, God knows. God knows what's going on in our hearts. There's no secrets. I know we like to think there's secrets, but there's no secrets with God. God knows where our heart is. God knows the things that we have done, and God's grace is sufficient for us in our weaknesses. Maybe today you're hanging on, you're trying to cling to, 
But as you look up to the right hand of God extended to you, you're thinking, I'm not. I'm not enough, I'm not whatever. But God's hand is there. Omnipresent, God is always there. This is one that's kind of a bit hard for us to bend our mind around, right? We're used to our physical bodies, and I'm here, and I can't be in Ontario right now with my granddaughter, and by the time I go to Ontario to be with my granddaughter, I'm not here with my wife. I can't, but God can. And God doesn't have to get out of here to get in the car to drive, to, but to, because he's not constrained by time either. God is everywhere with all people at all times, and your head might explode thinking about that. But he is always there, ready and waiting. If you're clinging to, and you're so concerned about the consequences that you don't look up, because God is present. He is there. You don't have to wait for him to arrive, because he is there. At the moment that we went over and we're clinging, God is there. God, in fact, saw it in the future and was there before we even got there, which can also make your head explode a little bit. If you're conscious of the cost of losing your grip, perhaps that's making you unaware of God's presence, but he is there. And the third one that we talked about, of course, the person hanging on for dear life, and they have to let go first before the hero can grab onto them. And there we are, and God's saying, let go, trust me, let go, trust me. You're like, but God, how about you catch me first and then I'll let go? And God's saying, you need to let go. You need to trust and have faith that I am here. In the Old Testament, I think there's, there's two stories of, of the Israelites crossing over rivers. Uh, in the first case, God parted the waters and they walked through. In the second case, God said, walk into the water and then I will part it. You have to get wet. You have to trust me and then I will. And sometimes that's where we're at, right? We're clinging on and we're doing our best to cling to God in the midst of whatever our circumstances are. And God says, let go, quit struggling so much. And we're like, but God, grab me first. And God says, let go. I'm here. Trust me. I have the strength because I am all powerful. The three omnis. We read a verse this morning. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9 and 10. I do love Isaiah. It's an amazing book. I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you. See, God's omniscient. He knows all about us, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, all the stuff in between, all our worries. He knows them. And yet... He chose us anyway. He knows, and he's chosen us. You're hanging on to the cliff thinking, I've got to do this all myself, and God, I'm just not. He's chosen you. And have not rejected you. <laughs> That's the other side, right? I know you, and still. So do not fear, for I am with you. God, I'm hanging on, I'm clinging to you as best I can, but where are you? Right here. Always have been. Just got to look up. I'm here. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, because I am omnipotent. I am all-powerful. All you have to do is trust me. 
have faith, let go, quit striving, I am here, my right hand is here to uphold you. My right hand is here to uphold you. I, um, need to back up because I skipped a page, but that's all right. God knows. My right hand is here to uphold you. I, I was thinking the last couple of weeks, you know, we talked about the right hand, the right hand, the right hand. I hope all you lefties aren't, aren't, aren't you know, like seriously offended by that. If you're, get over it. No. Uh, my, my first daughter, we think she's going to be a lefty, so I love lefties. So, yeah. It's a picture, right? So, so Google tells us, tells me that uh, the right hand of God is mentioned like over 130 times in the Bible. I don't know if Google's right or not, but it's, it's, you know, it's a number. There's a lot of times when we mention the right hand of God. Sometimes it talks about his actual physical right hand, uh, and there are other times when it's a picture. So if you're lefty and being offended, it's just a picture. The right hand is a picture that is used to, uh, to define or to describe something. Statistically, you know, there's a lot more people that are right-handed, and so it's, you know, it's a picture of right-handedness. Back in the Bible times, the key weapon of war would have been a sword. And because statistically more people have a right hand, uh, the right hand is the one that wields the power. The right hand is the one that can bring destruction, but keep in mind if you're on the good team, then the sword is the one that brings salvation as well. The right hand is a picture of strength and of power and of might. But it's also a picture of position, of place. Come sit at my right hand. It's a place of privilege. It's a place of honor. It's a place of right. It's a place of, well, I'm not sure I want to say comfort, but it's a place of provision, the right hand. And so when we read about God's right hand upholds us, it's a very short little verse but there's so much packed into that concept of his right hand upholds us. It his mighty strength, remember God is omnipotent, all-powerful, that is what is upholding us. When it says my right hand, it is that power that upholds us. But more than that, it's the position, my right hand, where you sit in my presence, as my son, as my daughter, as a member of my family, not as just some slave in the household, but you have a position and place. It signifies strength, it signifies power, it signifies position in the kingdom of God, in the heart of God. My right hand is what is upholding you. But there's something else in there as well. See, I'm, I'm towards the, the older end of the demographic, not the, not the, you know, I just had my 56th birthday, so I'm feeling it a little bit. So, I still believe in shaking hands. Now, I know that, you know, that thing that happened a couple years back, we're not supposed to shake hands anymore, and even years and years and years before that, I had a doctor say, no, you shouldn't shake hands, it, you should just bump elbows, and I'm like, Neh. Bumping elbows, bumping fists, that's all well and good, but there's something about, in our culture, the shaking of hands. There's a lot of stuff that we do in our culture that we don't understand, we just do it because. But the significance in shaking of the hand. Because, you see, when I reach out my hand to shake yours, I'm not carrying my sword. I'm not carrying my sword. When we lived in, in Papua New Guinea, I, I spoke about this a little bit, because people there, they carry machetes everywhere they go. They call it a bush knife, but it's like the equivalent of a sword, and they carry that thing 
in their hand. And so when they reach out to shake your hand, there's literally nothing in it. And there it's like truly meaningful, right? Because they reach out, they've had to take their machete into their other hand, which is their non-dominant hand, to shake and say, see, my hand is empty. I don't come to you armed, I come to you in peace. And so when God stretches out his right hand to uphold us, he stretches out a hand of strength and of power. He stretches out a hand of position, but he stretches out a hand of peace, which oftentimes in our clinging to God is what we need as much as anything else, the sense of his peace. In Psalm 63, uh, we have a, written by David, it's quite a short psalm actually, but in Psalm 63, David writes this at a time in his life when he is needing to cling to God. See, David's an interesting character, mighty king, loved God, but wow, he appears to have been not the best of fathers. Absalom, one of his sons, decided he wanted to be king instead and so was trying to usurp, take over the kingdom, and uh, David got chased out into the wilderness. And he's clinging to God in his position of age and in his position of want, because, you know, he wasn't the king at that time. I mean, he was, but he didn't have his palace because he was living out in the wild. He says, my soul clings to God, but it is God's right hand that upholds me. I am clinging to God, but it's God that's doing the work. God is upholding me. And so as I look at these, these verses that we've looked at, the Psalm 63 and the Isaiah 41, my question in particular in, in Psalm 63 is this, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And, and how do those two, and we just looked at how David, my soul clings to you, but it's you that do the work. And, and how does this actually work in, in practice? And so then I went and looked at these verses. Chronicles chapter one, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, this one is from the old part before Jesus came. And this one is in the new part after Jesus came. And yet they say the same thing to us. They say, look to God. Now, this one here is actually written from the New American Standard Bible. Often in church here, we, we read from the New International Version. Uh, and we are very privileged in the English-speaking word to have so many choices of Bibles that we can read from, so many choices. And you know, people will say, well, how can they all be correct? Well, because God is omnipotent, uh, and God is more than able to protect his word. And he gives us the privilege of being able to read his words in different styles that may help us to understand more about what his heart is. The thing about the New American Standard is, is that they seek to be quite accurate in wording. Others seek to be accurate in, in terms of, of, the, uh, of the thoughts that are trying to be expressed. But the New American Standard is quite accurate in terms of wording. It's just not the easiest to read necessarily, which is why a lot of people don't. But I like it in this context because seek the Lord and his strength because of this. Seek his face continually. Seek his face continually. As we are seeking to cling, as our soul seeks to cling to him, if we seek his face continually, we are doing our best to draw near to God. We are trying to do our, do our best to not be that, that middle one that we talked about that's so busy about the abyss that we fail to see the presence of God because as we draw near to him, he is 
always there anyway. And this is one of those verses, Karen said, I read verses and I don't understand completely. This one I don't completely understand. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But God is always there. So he's always there. So why do I have to draw near to him in order that he will draw? You don't have to. And your head explodes a little bit, but it's okay. Because God is there. Even in our, our struggling to understand what this means, he is there. But as we cling to him, as we seek his face continually, as we do our bit to draw near to God each day, looking to become more like him, communing with him, sharing our struggles with him, as we draw near to him, as we seek his face continually, we are clinging to him. When we doubt, when we lose sight, when we fear, when our soul is struggling to cling, his right hand is there. His right hand is there. There's sort of two, two things we've been, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. We've talked about the right hand of God and, and reaching out and upholding us. But at the same time, we, we entitled this series Stronghold. Because God is our stronghold. Now, I think perhaps in, in our day and age, we kind of don't have a great picture of what stronghold is. Um, I, uh, I was born in England, spent the first 10 or 11 years of my life in England. And in England, there are so many castles. You, you can't imagine how many castles there are. Uh, I said to, to the first service, I said, you can't swing a cat, not that you should swing a cat, but you can't swing a cat in England without hitting a castle. There, there's castles everywhere. Everybody had a castle. The castle closest to where I lived and grew up uh, was called Kenilworth Castle, uh, in a place called Kenilworth. Uh, but Kenilworth Castle is not the definition of stronghold. Kenilworth Castle is dilapidated, fallen down. The walls are a mess. There's a couple of towers still standing, but there's no intact rooms. There is no place where you could shelter, no place you could find refuge. There is no way that Kenilworth Castle any longer projects power. And that is what castles are all about. They're about projecting power, control over the surrounding area, but also about finding a place of refuge and comfort in time of trouble. This, however, this is a stronghold. This castle is near where my mum was born. This is Bamborough Castle in Northumberland in the northern part of England. This is an amazing castle. So 29 years ago, when our daughter was first born, uh, Jennifer and I and four-month-old Samantha took a little trip to England. My grandfather had passed away and left us a little bit of inheritance, and so we were able to make this trip to England. Uh, we didn't think we would you know, necessarily ever get back. It would be the only time Jennifer would be able to ever see where, where little Richard lived and grew up. Uh, God knew better because we've been back to England a couple of times since then in our travels overseas. Uh, great blessing. But this was, the, this was we thought, was going to be the only time. And so we tried to see the, the, the key bits, you know, the, the essential bits that make England what it is. And so we went to see a castle. Uh, and we went to this castle, Bamborough Castle. Bamborough Castle is beyond my imagination. We went in there, and it's complete. As you can see, it's complete. The walls are there. The rooms are there. People still live there. It's owned by people. They live there. It's inhabitable. 
And, but, but you can go as a tourist. And we went in and we looked around, and we did the thing, and we ended up going up this stairs, I don't know, and somewhere around this window or that window over there or something. We stopped and we looked out. And you could see the surrounding area that this castle in its day had commanded. And Jennifer was like astounded. Uh, Australians would be gobsmacked. She was astounded. She said, I'm standing in the very same spot where somebody stood a thousand years ago. Yes, that's right, you heard me. This castle has been standing for an excess of a thousand years. I am standing where somebody stood a thousand years ago and looked out over the same land. Thousand years people have been doing this. This castle has been there so long that the stone steps have had so many feet that the stone is worn where people have walked. This castle is a stronghold. It has never been taken by force of arms. Somebody tried once and failed. This castle has been here for a thousand years. There has been a stronghold on that mountain for years before that. They had a wooden fort there once and blah, 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 and then they decided to build this thing. This place has been a stronghold for well over a thousand years, probably getting on for 1,500 years. This castle in its present form, a thousand years. This is a stronghold. Now, obviously, today things are different, but this is a stronghold. It stands firm. In its day, it projected power. It was a place of refuge and security and safety. When those people came and tried to take the castle, all those who were surrounded, who were under the feudal lord, the man who owned the castle, they came into it, they ran into it, and they were saved. I think you'll find that in Proverbs somewhere. Ran into it, and they were saved. This is a stronghold. This is where the right hand of God comes from. This is what upholds you because he knows everything there is to know about you. He is with you all the time, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter what it is that you are struggling that's making you cling to God, his power projects from his right hand. His love for you projects from his right hand. His peace that he brings to you projects from his right hand. This is a stronghold. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. You're saying the salvation of the righteous. Well, there's nobody who is righteous, no, not one. So, well, that's pretty easy then, isn't it? But remember, God sees us differently. And perhaps today, if I may take a little bit of liberty, the salvation of those who draw near to God comes from the Lord. The salvation of those who seek his face continually comes from the Lord, for he is your salvation in time of trouble. Not just in time of trouble, when times are good. Remember the two previous sermons? We tend not to cling to God when times are good. When times are good, he is our stronghold. When times are bad, he is our stronghold. For it is his right hand that upholds us. His right hand that knows everything there is to know about you. His right hand that is always there if we will just raise our eyes and look. And his right hand, there is no problem. There is no problem that is too big or too small for the right hand 
of the Lord of the universe to uphold you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We do thank you for the privilege that we have of being in your house, that we are free to come here, that we are free to worship, that we are free to speak your name. But above all, God, we thank you that you are our stronghold. And as we work each day to cling to you, some days it's easy, some days it's hard, but help us to seek your face continually, to draw near to you in the certain absolute assurance that you are there, that your right hand is there to uphold us as we move forward. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.